Imagine a world where a tweet was just something that you heard a bird do outside. Imagine a world where the cloud was just something that you saw in the sky. Imagine a world where 4G was just the place that you lost your car at SeaWorld, right? Some of you will get it in a minute. Imagine a world that you said, I'm LinkedIn. It simply meant, hey, dad, will you come get me out of jail? Imagine a world where the, the Amazon is just a river in South America. Imagine a world where an application was something that a high school senior did for college. Who are these people, right? This archaic Flintstone type of people. Some of you are like, that's me. But for most of us in this room, it was the world 10 years ago. And some of you, it's time for you to come on, right? Well, maybe you have something on us that most of us, uh, we need to, to realize. Well, today we're going to begin a series, a three-week series called Media and My Family, where we just take a look at me and my family. It's a series for us to kind of reconnect, in a sense, with the things that we believe should be most important. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes I find myself looking at things um, in my life and I wonder where I spend my time. Just as you saw in the video that we made, um, it, it, it's not uncommon for us to spend five hours alone just on your smartphone. Matter of fact, 89% of Americans right now are connected to the World Wide Web in some way. If you were not just to consider your, smart your smartphone time, the average American would spend about 11 hours a day connected to the internet in some way, while teenagers would spend close to 13 hours a day. Some of you go, this is really hard for us to believe. Well, the average American, uh, well, the reason that you do is because the average American has five and a half social media accounts to watch over. Facebook, Instagram, ladies, Pinterest, not to mention Twitter and Instagram and uh, Tumblr and all the other things that we find ourselves on. And so the question is, is what do we do about this? I'm like, is the goal for us to come in here today and go, hey, as we look at media and my family, maybe we should just get rid of all of it. Maybe we should just kind of rid ourselves. Like for some of us in here, you go, that would be a really good thing. I know for me, it would be awesome if I could just get rid of my phone. But the bottom line is, that's not the goal. The goal of this message series is not to tell you some things that you should get rid of. It's not to even say, hey, it's reasonable for all of us just to shut down all our social media accounts and get rid of all of our phones and not spend any time on tablets. That's not the goal. The goal is, is to make sure that we're pro-relationships, that we don't allow some of those things to get into other, time, other things that should maybe be a little bit more important. So the question is, is well, where do we begin to, to determine how we should do this? I don't know about you, but I think about Jesus, Right? I mean, if there's one person that could handle this, it would be who? Jesus. Yeah, this is a one-time church where you get to say Jesus and it'd be the right answer, okay? So if we're going to find a way to come up with a solution, who do we look to? Jesus, that's right. And, and you may go, no, no, Brandon, come on. This is going to be a really far stretch for you to come up with how Jesus would handle media. And I would say, not really. And the reason why is because Jesus had one purpose. And the purpose was, in order to connect with a lot of other people, he knew that there was one connection that would be most important. 
that in order for him to make an impact in ministry and missionally and all the things that he was doing, but the one thing he really set out to do most, he knew that there was one relationship that mattered above all else. And so today, the whole aim of today is to help you realize that while we are as connected in our world as we've ever been, there's one connection that should trump all of those. And so the goal is, is to look at that today, and we're going to look through the lens of Jesus. And we're going to follow this story the whole way, and we're going to begin in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to end in the Gospel of Luke. But I want you to see what Jesus set out to do and why we should learn from him. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, you're going to see this incredible story about who Jesus is and what he's doing early in ministry. Now, he's just kicked off his ministry, and as he's kicking it off, there's going to be lots of miraculous things that are happening. He's even called a couple of disciples and going to call a couple of more uh, in the, the next chapter. But in Luke chapter 4, verse 38, you see this. And he arose, speaking of Jesus, and he left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. So here it is. He is uh, in Simon's house, and his, his mother-in-law is sick. Now, it's an incredible man that he would even want his mother-in-law healed, right? Yeah, I mean, this is a man of faith. He goes, Jesus, I need your help. My mother-in-law, I mean, she could go home to be with you, but let's, um, we like her cooking. Because look what happens. She gets healed and goes to serving them. I'm, I'm convinced that if she didn't have some killer casserole, he would have probably said, hey, Jesus, go ahead and take her with you. I'm just kind of narrating it as I go. I mean, that's just what I see. But either way, she is healed miraculously. She begins to serve them, and all the people around have this incredible interest. And look what happens. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid hands on every one of them, and he healed them. Even demons were coming out of many, crying, You are the Son of God, but he rebuked them, meaning the demons. And he said, do not tell anyone, because they knew that he was the Christ. So Jesus is doing all of this ministry, all this work. I mean, uh, Simon's mother-in-law is healed. All these people are coming from uh, places around, and they're like, please heal my sister. Please heal my daughter. Please heal my son. Hey, this is my uncle. And just in the droves, and he's just laying his hands on them, and he's healing them. And there's all these miraculous things that are happening. And it's interesting because people are like, this man is a miracle worker. Look at verse 42. But when it was day, he departed and he went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and they came to him and would have kept coming and wanted to keep them from leaving them. The idea was is that Jesus apparently did lots of ministry and then he rested in the evening. And then the next morning he got up and he went to this desolate place and he he, he began to, to just spend some time there. In the, the Gospel of Mark, Mark gives an account of the same exact narrative and story, and this is what he says in, verse, uh, in chapter 1, verses 35 and 36. He says, And rising very early in the morning while it was start, still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place there where he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him, they searched for him and they found him and they said, Everyone is looking for you. So Jesus, the next morning, gets up, he goes, and he's spending time with the Father 
And everyone else comes and they're clamoring for his attention and they're going, hey, Jesus, there's people lined up out at the clinic and the door's not open. Like, I don't know why you left this sign up to say, hey, we'll return later, but we're ready for you to return. I mean, there are people lined up. They are waiting on you and the door should have already opened. Sound familiar? In a world where we are busy and we're always waiting for someone to open so we can line up, Jesus is off on his own spending time with the Father. And then he said to them, after he said, hey, Jesus, come. We need you. We want you to stay here. We want you to continue this miracle thing you were doing yesterday. Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And so here he is in Judea, and he's preaching, but he goes, I'm going to leave Because there are other places, there are other towns, there are other regions that still have not heard this message that I have to proclaim. If you follow the narrative, he begins to preach and he continues to do miracles and different works. And he's heading somewhere in particular. And in Luke chapter 9, you're going to see kind of where Jesus is resolving himself to go. And so in Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36, you're going to see this this narrative, this story about Jesus. And he's on this mountain where there's going to be this transfiguration, which is a fancy word for this incredible encounter with God. And in verse 28, it says, Now about eight days after the sayings he took with him, Peter and John and James went up onto the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became like dazzling white. In the Greek, it, it, it kind of gives this description of, of what a lightning bolt would look like. It, it became this incredible moment in time where Peter, James, and John were enamored with, with this encounter. Verse 30, it says, And behold, two men were talking with him, those two men being Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Did you see that? Hold on, look at that one more time. Verse 31. So Moses and Elijah appear in glory and they speak of his departure, which he is about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Go back to to, to Luke chapter 4. Jesus, we just want you to stay. I mean, we, we want you to be here. Jesus goes, no, 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 it's best that I go. I've got other towns, I've got other villages, I've got places to preach, and I'm I've got a place that I'm going. There's a purpose in which has to be fulfilled. Jesus, if you leave, man, I'm going to unfriend you. (laughs) Like, I was going to put this up on YouTube, I mean, all this, because I I can promise you, there's nobody seeing the healing that you just accomplished. I was going to put that on YouTube, and I was going to create you a profile, but Jesus, no, I'm out on that. If you're not staying with us and going to do ministry here, we're not friends. If if I can't come to your house and have dinner, then we're not going to do that. I was going to put that up on Instagram for you, Jesus. I was, I was going to follow you on Twitter. Now I'm not going to follow you, Jesus. Like, well, I mean, I don't know what you're doing. Here it is. He's on this mountain, transfiguration. He's talking to Moses and Elijah. And you would think that it would be plausible for the hundreds of people that came to him to be healed, or, or possibly even the thousands that he fed, right? I mean, with, with bread and, and fish, that maybe they wouldn't get it. Like that maybe even though they, they followed Jesus on his little social media account, that maybe they wouldn't understand the ministry, that they would say something ridiculous. But surely, surely the disciples, I mean, those 12 men he invested in, surely they got it. And even more, you see here in Luke chapter 9 that there were three, Peter, James, and John. And they followed Jesus devoutly. I mean, they were more than just Facebook friends. 
they were more than just Twitter followers. Like they, they dined together. They had breakfast together. They, they, were, they were family. They were, they were the real deal. And I mean, surely they got it. Surely they didn't prohibit Jesus from accomplishing what he set out to do, to go to Jerusalem, to lay his life down, to do all those things, right? And then in verse 33, and as these men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is so good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Jesus, man, here we are. I don't have a clue what just went down a second ago, but man, your face was altered, you and God, and then Moses and Elijah. I mean, oh, wow, it was an incredible thing. Let's just stay here. I mean, you know those hundreds of people that were distracting you? I mean, you remember back in Judea, and they, they even disrupted your quiet time with God. They said some mean things, unfollowed you on Facebook. I mean, let's, let's not go back. I mean, let's just stay here. I mean, it's just you and God, Moses, Elijah, us three. I mean, honestly, who else do we need? Jesus says, oh, oh as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overset, overshadowed them, and they were afraid into the land. A voice came out saying, this is my son, chosen one. Listen to him. And when they, the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And as he's found alone, they kept silent and told no one on the days anything of what they had seen. Did you see where Jesus was found after all this? Alone. So here is this encounter with God, this lightning bolt from heaven, Moses and Elijah speaking on, Peter saying, hey, it's best that we not set forth to Jerusalem. Let's just stay here. Let's just camp our tents here and, and let's just stay. And I mean, let's enjoy this for a while. And then Jesus, after a cloud overshadowed, and that cloud is like a literal cloud in the sky, the one, you know, not, not where you put a bunch of files in storage, okay? It's a real cloud. Y'all get that? Yeah? Media in my family, okay? All of a sudden, Jesus is found alone. Look at verse 43, going down a little bit. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus says to his disciples, look what he says. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of what? Men. It is as if Jesus, when he's having this moment, even on the Mount of, uh, of Transfiguration, as he is meeting with God, as Moses and Elijah looks on, he goes, guys, don't get too enamored with all this. I am about to to go and I'm going to lay my life down. So let this sink in. I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men. Verse 51, to make it very clear, it says, and when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to what? Jerusalem. See, Jesus in a day and age where people were vying for his attention, where they were begging for him to stay and meet with them because of all the things he did, Jesus kept withdrawing. He, he, kept, he kept making even smaller circles. I mean, matter of fact, in, in chapter 10, look at verse 1. In chapter 10, verse 1, it says, And after the Lord appointed 72 others, he sent them out ahead of him. Where? Two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. 
He goes, guys, I'm going to send you out, and you are heading towards the places I'm going to go. Where's he going? To Jerusalem. And then look what he says. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord, the harvest, to send out laborers in the harvest. Jesus sent out 72. Now, what's interesting is, as I looked into this, just thinking about it, it hadn't really hit me up to this point, but out of those 72 people, how many of you believe that they knew Jesus really intimately? Not really well. They wanted to follow him, but they weren't like the disciples of the 12, but even the 12, they didn't know him as well as the three. But what's interesting is you look at the three, even the three didn't know him as well as he sought to know one. Guys, that's really the point of this entire narrative. Jesus sets his eyes on something ahead. In, in Luke chapter 17, I, I didn't put it up there, but in verse 11, it just is an inference that he's heading to Jerusalem. So all the while that he's doing miracles and all the while that he's doing ministry, he knows that there's something far ahead in the distance that he's, he's got his eyes on. He is setting his eyes towards Jerusalem. He finally lands there. In Luke chapter 22, look, he lands in Jerusalem. And in chapter 22, you're going to get this Garden of Gethsemane experience where Jesus is there and, and he's literally looking down the cross almost face to face. And just a day before, it says in verse 39, and he came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. Did you see what that just said? He went out as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. It's implying that every day he went and he found a desolate place where he would pray and he would seek God. And so it's no different. He's on the Mount of Olives. He's praying. He's seeking God. All the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, verse 40, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples, he found them what? Sleeping for sorrow. You remember the conversation in the other gospels? Hey, can't you just stay awake? Can't you just pray? And then he says, why are you sleeping? Rise up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. As you begin to look on this entire story, Jesus starting in the area of Judea, ultimately making his rounds through uh, Galilee and Samaria, every single thing he's doing is moving himself to the very one purpose in which he was called to fulfill. That one purpose is simply to what? Lay his life down, to go to the cross. It's interesting that Jesus' purpose was not to do tons of ministry and lots of healings. He did that, but even when he did that, he would say things to people like, hey, don't tell them, for they need not know who I am at this point. It was not that he was trying to grab all the attention, where we live in a day and age where our social media accounts and much of the media that we have is what? For attention. So what is your purpose? Like, what is the reason that you are created? That's ultimately what's going to allow you to move forward in this day and age where media abounds. A day and age where the world is more connected than they've ever been, but yet people seem to be more disconnected than they've ever been. How do you move forward? How do you know what you should do? Well, I think we model after Jesus, but I'll tell you, the only way that's even possible 
is for you to know what Jesus's purpose is and what your purpose is. Jesus had one purpose. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Who is that? People who are far from him. So the question is, is what are you and I created for? Are we created to manage five and a half social media accounts? Are we created to be the best we could ever be? Are we created to get promotions and bigger jobs and nicer titles? Because listen, actually, if that is why you're created, then aren't we doing you a disservice by having you gather with us today? I mean, think about it. If you are to make a name for yourself, then why are you not out selling your product? If you're to be something better in this world, then why are you connecting here? Because we're actually encouraging you to connect less with them and connect more to something different. And so it leads me to believe that all of us have a problem. All of us would say we probably are connected in ways that we never realized, but yet we don't have a plan, right? Most of us would say we need something. And so how, how do we go about it? Like, what did Jesus do? Here it is. You ready? Two things. He did two things. One, he disconnected in order to connect. Look at it. He disconnected in order to connect. You saw it in Luke chapter 4 where everybody's clamoring for his attention. It said he set up, resolved himself early in the morning to go to a desolate place. And he sought God. Now, for many of us in here, you go, well, I don't really, I'm not really an early morning person, you know what I mean? So I don't really know about, I mean, Jesus, I mean, his example, he, he got up early. And you didn't just see him get up early. I mean, you saw him find uh, a specific place that he went and he stayed there and all of those different things. But he disconnected in order to connect. Now, you and I, we know that that probably should be important, but we find ourselves not doing that. Matter of fact, what's interesting is, is that out of people surveyed, one-third of adults and half of teenagers, 11, or adolescents 11 to 17, would say that I have no real direct plan when it comes to my media accounts, meaning that it's just kind of a free-for-all. I just spend as much time on it as possible, and I don't really have a plan for it. I started looking at me and my family. I started thinking about, okay, how is media affecting me and my family? And here's what I realized. We do have a plan. We actually plan for our kids to disconnect, but here's the deal. We limit them, right? Like we limit them to certain times during the day and we limit their amount of time. But then I started thinking about me. How well do I disconnect in order to connect? And I really looked at me and realized that, yeah, I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't spend a lot of time doing media in that way. But when it comes to my phone, when it comes to my computer, when it comes to an, a tablet, I find myself not disconnecting enough in order to connect. And you go, well, what are, what are we disconnecting from? What did, what did Jesus disconnect from? Did Jesus just disconnect from the thousands and the, even the hundreds? Or did Jesus disconnect from the 12 and also the three, Peter, James, and John? Yes, Jesus knew something that is essential that if you're going to disconnect in order to connect, there's a reason why you do it. And here's why. Your vertical connection enhances all of your horizontals. Understand? Your vertical connection 
enhances all of your horizontal ones. Like, why did it make sense that Jesus would withdraw? Why would it make sense that Jesus would go to a desolate place? I mean, would he just go there just because he wanted to get rid of all the distractions, that he got tired of all the notifications and all the text messages? Like, is that why he withdrew? No, he, he deliberately withdrew for one reason. He knew that in order for him to maximize his ability in ministry, in order for him to affect the three people that he loved, Peter, James, and John, in order for him to disciple the 12, in order for him to do miraculous healings, to set the blind free, to allow the lame to walk and the mute to hear, in order for him to do those things, he knew that he had to withdraw strength from something other than himself, that he needed some time intimately away from all the distractions where he just focused on his father. See, when I say we need to disconnect in order to connect, I'm not talking about, hey, we need to just, you know, spend a little bit of time as a family at dinner, although that is incredibly important. What I'm talking about is something far bigger, far more impactful, but far more challenging. What is that? I'm talking about our vertical connection. And see, it wouldn't be fair for me to go, hey, we really need to disconnect in order to connect, and we need to work on our vertical connections so that our horizontal connections are better enhanced. It wouldn't be fair for me just to leave it there, okay? The reason why is because most of us in here would say that we don't have a plan. Most of us would admit that we are on our phones and our tablets way more than we should be, right? So if you would agree with those two statements, you really don't have a plan for your media, and you probably uh, you know, are on your phone, tablets, media, technology, whatever you want to call it, a little bit too much, raise your hand. Okay, and if you didn't raise your hands for one of two reasons, one, because you're on your phone right now and you didn't hear me, <laughs> or two, you still live in that archaic age where the dinosaurs lived and you didn't know what a cloud was when you came in here. But if you are like me, connected to a society where there's more connections than ever, then you need to know that we have to have an intentional plan to disconnect. And that intentional plan of disconnecting in order to connect has not just something to do with all these relationships to here, but knowing that in order for that to be impacted best, it's got to start here vertically. And so here's the plan. Let's just, since we've kind of been looking at Jesus and his ministry, maybe let's just draw from what Jesus did. You agree? Yeah, yeah. That'd be a good idea. He disconnected. He disconnected. When Jesus disconnected, what did he do? Every time that you see it, whether in Mark's accounts, Luke's accounts, other gospel accounts, when he disconnected for the purposes of influencing the three, the 12, the 72, the hundreds, the, even the thousands, when he disconnected, he did two specific things, okay? Um, really three. But when he disconnected, he first found a specific time. If you remember in uh, Luke chapter 4, it it said that while the, the sun had set, he had done all the miraculous things. The next day, he set out early, departed into a desolate place. Mark said early in the morning, he found a place while it was still dark, a desolate place. And so he found a time, a time and a place. That place was early in the morning where he went. And I don't know where that place is for you. It could be your recliner. It could be a little garden that you have out back. But the place is something a place that you go and you go often and it's a recurring habit. Even when you began to look later on in Luke chapter 22, it says that when he went out, as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, it was something he did all the time. 
It's the same idea that you got in Daniel. When Daniel, he went, as was his custom, and he knelt down as he did every day, and he prayed three times a day. It was the idea of faithful men who make much of an impact horizontally. They have something vertically with God that is important to them. And that was a connection that mattered. And so they found a place, and then more than that, they found a time early in the morning. See, you and I, I know, like, especially if you're a parent like me, you have, you, you have kiddos running around and you have people to feed and get up in the morning and all of these challenges that you have, you go, it's not real easy. But I'll tell you this, if you are like me, once you finally get your kiddos up and when you get into the office around eight o'clock and you work till 4.30 or five, all of the connections that you think are important, they drive your attention and your focus. You have emails to reply to, you have phone calls to make, you have stories to read, you have research to do, and you find yourself literally fulfilling the very statistics that we're talking about that for 11 hours you've looked at screens, for nine hours you've spent yourself, for five hours you've been on the phone, and you look back and you go, I didn't spend any time at all in a desolate place in my rocking chair with the Word of God. So can I just tell you what that looks like? Find a recliner, get you the Word, a good cup of coffee. Amen? I personally prefer lots of creamer, sweet cream, just in case you're buying. I like, um, I like whipped cream. I like caramel drizzle. And when I get all that in my Bible, it's on. You know what I'm talking about? That's what it looks like. For what? For, for the purpose of not just getting away, but literally for, for this plan of not just disconnecting, but to connect. Connect. That's the goal. You disconnect, find a, a place and a time to connect with purpose. What's the purpose? The purpose is to spend time adequately with the Lord. And listen, you and I don't just spend time in the scripture so that we can define God. We spend time to allow God to redefine us. And that's part of our problem. When we open up the scriptures, we go, okay, God, just give me this one little thing and I'm gonna get this one nugget of truth and I'm gonna head out the door. No, no, no. It's to saturate on the word and allow him to speak into our lives and say, God, I know my thoughts. I know my ways. I know, as Paul said in Romans 7, there's nothing good that lives in me. So God, I need more of you. And I know that more of you is not what others say about you. It's about who you are and allowing you, God, to redefine me. So God, redefine my heart. Redefine who I am. Help me to eat of your word. Isn't that what Jesus says in the I am statements? Which, by the way, we're going to close the year in our Christmas series with the I ams. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Come and eat of me and you'll never hunger again. Here's how, our, here's how we work as Christians. You ready? Like this. Most of us in here, maybe not all, but a lot of us, we have daily fiber one bars. I like to call that a Bible gateway verse. Some of you, you have it emailed to you, and it's just this one verse of the day, and you're like, oh, yeah, I read this verse today. Well, hey, what was it? I don't really remember. And it's just like you grabbing and going. And in the mornings, I mean, when, I, when I'm lazy, when I'm kind of slothful, when I don't have enough what? Time. I grab a bar. 
and I head out the door, and I think, this is going to be the substance. This right here, this one thing is going to be the substance to get me through my day. I mean, who, who wants a bar? Oh, heads up, just making sure you're awake. You know, and hey, if it's not a bar, I mean, every now and then I'm like, hey, you know, that, that's a little too light. I mean, I need, a, I need some, you know, what, Pop-Tarts, because there's two of them. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, y'all better be paying attention if you're on your iPhone. You ready? Heads up! They signed legal consent forms before we did this, so. But do you know why we grab things like that to go? It's because of time. That's all it boils down to. Time. You know why Christians don't spend time in the Word? It's not because I'm telling you something new today. I mean, when we talk about this and you see Jesus, you know I need to disconnect in order to connect. There is no one in here in their right mind would say, my vertical connection with God hurts all these relationships here. All our vertical connection with God does is enhance these things. Husbands, you want to be a better husband and father? You learn from the word of God. Wives, you want to be a mother a better mother and a better wife, you learn from the word of God. You want to be faithful to your employee, you work, you learn what it looks like to be faithful and work ethic, and you learn that from the word of God. You want to manage your time and your money, your resources, you learn that from the word of God. Like the word of God, all it does is enhance all of these things. The problem is we just don't have enough time for it. In a day and age where we are connected, we're really disconnected. When's the last time that you had the big country breakfast? You know what I'm talking about? Eggs, bacon. Hold on. I'm just going to sin real quick for just a second. Um, pancakes, lots of syrup. When's the last time you had that? Some of you are like, oh, this morning, man, actually, yeah. <laughs> when it comes to us as Christians to reading the word, we rarely have a big country breakfast. We find ourselves checking off a list. I read my verse the day. I got my, my favorite preacher's quote, and I'm good to go. And unfortunately, that's not how we do ministry. That's not how we affect the people around us. So if somebody were to ask you, hey, how are you connected? What would you say? One great question you could ask is, hey, what has God taught you in his word today? And I guarantee you that if I came up and I asked you that, you would fumble through it. Or that you would give me some generic answer, like God is teaching me about grace. Oh, awesome, where is that in the Bible? Uh, oh, uh, I mean, I don't know, it came through my phone, I mean, on a, a verse a few days ago. We need the big country breakfast. So I'll tell you, I don't think it's fair to give you a, a plan to say, hey, let's disconnect in order to connect. Hey, let's disconnect by finding a time and a place. Let's connect purposefully by studying the word of God without giving you some tools. And so here's what we've decided to do at Stone Plain. Over the next three weeks, it's going to be 15 days, Monday through Friday. We're going to send out an email to all of our subscribers. If you're not a subscriber, then you can go uh, onto our Stone Point homepage. There's a plus sign at the very bottom. It's, I think it's green or orange. You can click on it. And it'll say, sign me up. And every day for the next three weeks, Monday through Friday, we're going to send you a big country breakfast. See, the deal is, is this. You have no problem eating it. You have a problem preparing it. Isn't that true? 
I mean, it, honestly, if somebody said, hey, I got bacon and eggs and pancakes on the table, you're like, hey, I'm good to go. But if somebody said, you got to cook it, you're like, no, I'll forget that. I'm just going to get me a fiber one bar. So we're going to cook you a breakfast. We're going to prepare it for you so that you can eat of God's word. Why? Because just as important as it is to feed the outer man, it's important to feed the inner man. Why? Because Jesus says it's not near as important what goes on into a man's mouth as what comes out of his heart. It's what you put, it's not what you put in a man, it's what you come out of a man. So we got to feed our soul. And so we're going to feed your soul with Ephesians chapters 1 through 6 over the next three weeks. We're going to not only put the text there on a platter, but we're going to prepare. We've got questions prepared. We're going to give you some application and some thoughts. And our goal is that you would take more than just a couple of minutes to read a verse and that you would saturate in God's word for the purpose of enhancing your horizontal connection. Amen? And so, church, may we eat of God's word. May we disconnect in order to connect. Got me? So let's say, disconnect in order to connect. Here we go. Man, that's the best thing I've heard all day. Sounds like a good plan. Let's do it. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for today. We pray, God, that you would help us to disconnect in order to connect. Lord, may we have a plan for our cell phones. May we have a plan for our tablets. May we make a plan for our family. May we limit our time, not because we are trying to get rid of them completely, but but just because we want to be good stewards of the resources you've given us. Lord, help us to manage them well. And Lord, help us to spend our time every day disconnecting so that we can connect purposely for you. Because Lord, we believe that not only does the scripture teach it, not only did Jesus fulfill it best, but when he spent time with the Father, all of his ministry was enhanced. Lord, I can't help but believe that if we'll spend time with you daily, that all of our relationships would be enhanced. And so God, help us to learn from that. Help us to disconnect in order to connect with other people. We love you. We thank you for your grace. May we be people who love your word and the decrees in there. May we impart that truth, not only to our own lives, but the lives of other people. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and sing with me.